Hi, guys. First of all, I want to say welcome to the new listeners. Thank you for subscribing. Um, the podcast has been doing really great. Um, thank you for referring, you know, your favorite episodes to your family and friends. Um, really grateful. Um, to my new listeners, welcome. To my returning listeners, thank you. Um, you guys are great. Like as soon as I post something, I can see, boom, like you just have all these downloads super quickly. And I'm super grateful for that because it encourages me to keep talking um, and keep talking about things that I notice and that maybe other people don't notice. But the, the haste in which I see people download the episode tells me that there is an audience that wants to hear what I have to say. And um, there are people out there that are that are conscious. I don't really meet a lot of conscious people in my daily life. Um, and so the fact that people, especially with the newer episodes, those have been doing really well. When I talk more, the ones I've been talking more about free will and determinism and the self and consciousness seem to be doing really well. So that means that the, 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 the message is resonating with, a, with a groups of people that I, you know, want to reach and want to talk to. So thank you for that. Um, for the new listeners, I say, you know, don't just listen to like the most recent episode and then wait for a new episode to come, you know, to come on, like check out the previous episodes because there are nuggets of, um, of observation or wisdom or whatever you want to call it that, um, that, you know, you're going to get a lot out of. And I'm not just saying that because it's my podcast. A lot of the times when I do the podcast, sometimes I, I kind of talk off, you know, off my, off the top of my head, but other times I'll actually sit and write things down. And when I do, when I go back and listen to, to the episode, like I get, something back from it even though I'm the one saying it it's like it's weird it's like they say that artists or writers or whatever aren't the ones creating the work they're more like vessels and that they are allowing something to flow into this world from another dimension or whatever and I and I and I and I genuinely believe that and I've just seen that um in my experience and so you know do check out those other episodes not just not for an ego boost for me um but because I know that you're going to get some value out of it because I get value out of listening to my own stuff. Um, anyway, so um, uh, the, this past week, uh, I actually really wanted to focus more on talking about pain um, just because I, I spent a lot of time talking about death um, because these things are, you know, death is inevitable. But then I also realized, you know, they say death and taxes are inevitable, but not necessarily so. Death and pain are inevitable and pain more so because we literally deal with pain on a daily basis every single day. You're, you're not going to go a single day without feeling some type of pain, either psychological, emotional, uh, physical. We, we deal with pain on a, on a daily basis. And so I really want to talk about that and tie that in with being, um, with being unconscious um, or, or, or I should say with the idea or the illusion of free will. But before I get into that, I really want to talk about the fact that everybody's losing their fucking minds right now. Um, and, and we all need to chill the fuck out. I, I, I'm talking about the coronavirus. Um, I don't watch the news. I don't watch the media. I, 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 I don't consume that stuff because, A, I, I, am, I am vehemently passionate about maintaining um, consciousness. I, I, I am desperately striving to become free. I, I believe that most, most of us, if you ask the average person, are you free? Do you have free will? They're going to tell you that they do, but they don't. It's the, the free will is an illusion you just we are we are deeply we're, we are deeply controlled by by forces beyond our own consciousness and we're driven this way and that without even being conscious of what's going on and so for me 
uh, staying conscious is a daily battle. It's a daily battle. And so I don't put things, I choose not to put things into my psyche that will make that battle even more difficult. So I don't watch the news. Um, however, um, I started realizing something was going on when I went to go order uh, my toilet paper. My favorite toilet paper is uh, Quilted Northern. Quilted Northern. Uh, They have a special one. It's in the purple label. It's three plies, three three pieces of of the the toilet paper together to one. It's super plush. It feels great. It's better than Charmin. And it doesn't clog up your toilet. That is not an ad. (laughs) I'm just saying I really like Quilted Northern uh, three-ply toilet paper. I went to go order it from Walmart.com. And uh, it was out of stock. Everything was out of stock. All on my paper towels. I, and I, I wasn't trying to stock up on anything. I just, you know, we were running low on toilet paper. And so I just do what I normally do, which is order, you know, order stuff online. Because I don't like going to the stores. Um, and everything was out of stock. I'm like, what's going on? And I was like, well, is the news like telling people to stock up? I wasn't sure. Um, so I had to settle for Charmin unfortunately. Um, anyway, um, my daughter came back from her dad's and she said that she had gone to Walmart, the actual physical store with her father and, uh, everything like the, the, the Walmart stores, everything was like gone. Everything was sold out. Like water was all gone. Paper towels. I'm sitting here just calm as shit, sitting on my deck, meditating, not realizing that the world is losing your fucking mind. Guys, chill. I hope you're not getting caught up in this bullshit. I, I really hope. I'm not saying don't stock up on water if you feel like you need to. Only because there is a possibility that, yes, all this like rallying and all this fear might cause there to actually be a quarantine over the coronavirus. And then you might need the water. But, you know, I guess go to the local CVS or your Vons or something and pick up water there if you, if you feel like you need to. Or better yet, invest in an RO water filtration system. That gets rid of lead and fluoride and uranium that they've been putting in the water. Um, and then you just have to change the filter once a year and then you can just have water. Um, and then just buy distilled water, which is just pure water anyway, and just store it. I, I, I store water anyway. I'm from Nigeria. Um, and I just, I guess because of my experience in living in a, in a country where you don't have constant electricity and so you have to have a backup generator and you don't have constant running water so you have to have a water backed up in like a you know well or storage or in gallons or whatever i just naturally do that um but you should naturally be doing that anyway coronavirus or not um but what what i wanted to talk about was the the fact that um especially in terms of free will what this is this whole coronavirus thing is an exercise um, of the of the powers powers that be, whatever it is that's running this reality, the government, whatever you want to call it. I don't know the they. They're they're showing themselves just how much power they have in controlling the masses. I mean, that's all that all this is. That's all this is. Don't believe me? Okay, listen to this. Okay. I guarantee you right now, if you go on YouTube, if you go on Instagram, if you go on Facebook, any sort of conspiracy theory driven website, you read the comments. I haven't because I just know once once A happens, B is going to happen because everyone's most people, the majority of human beings right now who call themselves free are extremely reactive. They're going to be talking about um, coronavirus. They're going to say it's been or- organized and orchestrated by the government. They're going to say 
that they're getting ready to take away our guns and they're going to say that they're getting ready to put us all in FEMA camps. Guarantee. I don't even need to go and check. I just know that that's the MO. It's all fear. It's the four Fs that I referred to. Like I said, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the Stay Conscious, my friends episode, I, 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 you know, I put it out a couple of weeks ago. I didn't know that this was going to happen where people are going to start losing their shit. Um, go listen to that. I mean, like, I, my housekeeper was telling me about how um, she watched on the news, somebody shot somebody. Somebody shot somebody because they sneezed. A woman sneezed in front of the guy, and this guy pulled out a gun and shot somebody. That's insane. If somebody, if, if, you, if you think that that was a conscious action, killing somebody or, or severely injuring somebody, that's not. It's, a, it's an action that was driven by fear, right? The, the reptilian brain, the monkey mind in all of us has been triggered by the media. And so you watch people. And what I say is if you can get people to react, if you can get them to be unconscious, you can control them. That's what the weapon of the media is. That's what the weapon of the news is. You get people amped up, they become unconscious, the monkey mind takes over and they start doing things like this. It's wild. So somebody got shot because of fear, brought on by a virus that as of now isn't as dangerous as influenza B. So let me, let me talk to you guys about um, influ- influenza B. Okay. Last year, my husband, who is 6'4 and about 300 pounds, um, big, stocky, sturdy guy, never gets sick, very healthy individual. Okay. He was, he was taken down by the influenza B. One of the scariest experiences in my life, um, to see a big, strong guy like that kind of curled up in like a, in this like just helpless position with his heart racing, like you put your hand on his chest and his heart's just going and you're just afraid, like, fuck, like his blood pressure was super high. Um, his fever was crazy high. He was throwing up. He was going to the bathroom. I mean, I I could see at that moment how people could die from that. And this wasn't a, this is not an individual with a compromised immune system. Okay, this is like a regular person of good health. Eat eats well, exercises, all of that. Okay, that's influenza B. Okay, now thankfully, thankfully. We we used the the Heal app, Heal.com, and in Southern California, they have doctors that come to your house, and so the I, the doctor was able to come and check on them, and then they prescribed Tamiflu, and even though the Tamiflu was prescribed outside of the of the effectiveness window, it still worked. So if you know anybody that has the flu right now, and they, and they feel like okay, it's outside of the window, still just just take it. Um, um, because it, it, it really did work. But that was, that was really scary. I mean, that was the scariest thing um, that I've ever experienced. And that's just the flu. And we have that every year, every year. And, and, and it made me wonder, like, why is that that at the start of every flu season, we don't see the same panic and the quarantining like we're presently seeing with the coronavirus right now, Right? Like up until maybe this month, did you think to stock up on alcohol wipes, on hand sanitizers, to wash your hand regularly, to avoid touching your face, to wear masks in public spaces like they do in Asia all the time, which I genuinely, I genuinely think, coronavirus or not, 
we should all be doing here too, especially on planes, you know, in public spaces where you're like sharing air with people. Um, we should be taking those same precautions that we're, people are taking now to avoid the coronavirus. But we never, we don't do that. And why not? Why not? I just Googled flu deaths, 2019 to 2020 USA. Type that into Google. And as of January, I think it was January 20th, uh, the CDC had reported that 15 million people had been infected with the flu. So far, that was January 20th. Okay. It was according to the CDC. According to the data gathered from the U.S. Center for Disease Control, as of January 18th, 2020, 15 million people have been infected with the flu. 15 million people. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some numbers at you, and I want you to take those numbers and apply that and see how people will lose their minds if, if I replace the word flu with coronavirus. So as of January 18, 2020, 15 million Americans have been infected with the flu. 140,000, 140,000 people have been hospitalized for the flu, hospitalized. And 8,200 people have died so far. That was at January 18th, 2020, as of January 18th, 2020. Okay. Okay, so I want you guys to really think about those numbers for just one second. Just think about it and then imagine how many people in this current news cycle would literally jump off fucking buildings, start losing their shit right now. If, if you turn on the news and those same numbers, those same numbers were being reported but for the coronavirus, right? You turn on the news and they're saying, 15 million Americans are now infected with the coronavirus. 140,000 have been hospitalized since the outbreak and over 8,000 people have died. I guarantee you, like it would just be outright pandemonium, right? Like in the streets, right? Like the, all our streets would be empty. Traffic would be cleared out. Everyone would be locked up in their homes, not going anywhere. Everything would be shut down. Quarantine. That's wild to me. That's wild to me, especially seeing as say, seeing that the article is saying that those numbers that I gave you, this current flu season isn't even the worst flu season that we've ever had since they've, since they've started keeping records. And now check this out. Over 50% of positive test results for the flu have been in young people, young people around the age of 25 and younger. So only 12% of positive results have been in patients 65 years or older. In one week, in just one week, that article reported that in just one week, 15 pediatric deaths occurred, as in young kids. In fact, this season, it seems that influenza B, which is the more sketchy, scary one that my husband had, it's been taking a higher toll on young children, more so than previous years. Now, that was as of January 18th, 2020. 
So the coronavirus, um, what was interesting about the coronavirus is that it only is attacking or taking out, I guess, people with compromised immune system and then older people for the most part. I mean, there are some people here and there who you don't know what their underlining issues are, but for the most part, it's only been really taken out like either older people or people with compromised immune system. Whereas influenza B, which is a more dangerous virus, is actually targeting young adults and children. So then I looked up for more, like a more recent news. And so as of March 5th, 2020, the CDC has reported at least now, so 32 million Americans now, as of March. So the first article was saying 15 million, and that was in January. March 5th, the CDC has now reported 32 million cases of influenza. So that means in just a month and a half, about 15 more people, 15 million more people have been infected by the flu. And then pediatric hospitalization rates have hit record highs. This is straight from the CDC. Here's a quote. According to the CDC, for the younger populations, hospitalization rates have reached the highest on record since influenza reporting began in 2004 to 2005 season. The, hospita- the hospitalization rates for children and young adults has surpassed the rates documented during the second wave of the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. I'm gonna like, I need you to let that sink in. So while the news is getting everybody hyped up about the coronavirus, the regular ass influenza B, influenza B is out there breaking records, affecting young adults with uncompromised immune systems. Influenza B this year is actually more dangerous right now, right now, especially for young adults with uncompromised immune systems and and children, pediatric, you know, uh, pediatric deaths are on the rise, children, for influenza, influenza B. The news isn't talking about that. Instead, they're hyping up the coronavirus. And I think that that's dangerous. It's dangerous because parents need to know, hey, children are, are at greater risk for the influenza. Keep your kids at home. Because while we're busy worrying about the coronavirus, right? And a lot of people are just dismissing it because they're like saying, well, it's in China or whatever. The influenza B has been here since 2019 and probably has killed, let's say back in January, it was saying 8,000. Who knows how many people, I didn't check the deaths as of March. Do you see what it's doing to people's psyche? So you're, so for the, you're not, they're not, the news isn't telling people, hey, be extra cautious, right? The same precautions that they're telling us to take with the coronavirus, which is wash your hands, don't touch your face, you know, use uh, alcohol wipes and things of that nature. They should have, if they genuinely gave a fuck, they should have been telling us about this back in, let's say, January or even December. Hey, this stuff is affecting kids. 
not the coronavirus coming in from China, influenza B, you know, the scary type of flu. Yeah, it's actually affecting young adults. That's you listening to this right now. And kids. Make sure you send your kids home, send your kids to school, you know, with uh, antibacterial lotion. Make sure you, you tell them, keep your hands clean, wash your hands. This stuff has been affecting us since way back when, in August, September, October. If the news genuinely gave a fuck about, about public health, they would have made a bigger deal about the coronavirus, but instead, because the coronavirus is something that they can hype up and get you to watch and get you to you know, freak out and go panic and run on stores and things like that, they're not talking about that. It takes basic people like me to sit and say, hey, I'm not the news, but just Google some shit and figure this out. This shit is affecting kids and young adults. I mean, on the plus side, the good thing is that, you know, telling people to be freaked out about the coronavirus is making them more cautious, you know, wash, making them wash their hands more and, you know, wear a mask and things like that, which hopefully can limit the spread of influenza B as a result, right? But it's an unintended effect. They just want you to fucking be afraid. They just want to be able to say shit and then see how people react. If they hyped us up about the coronavirus the way they hype us, or I'm sorry, if they hype us up about influenza B the way they hype people up about coronavirus or they're hyping people up about the coronavirus now, I guarantee you society would just be at a standstill. I mean, they would quarantine people every fucking flu season. This is madness. If you're reacting to, to external circumstances, to external factors outside of yourself, and you're doing things that you wouldn't normally do. That's not free will. You're not free. You're not exercising free will. You're being controlled. You're a slave. Wake up. Wake up. Like I said, I'm not saying don't stock up on water if you feel like you need to. You should be stocking up on water anyway. You know, just every couple of, you know weeks or so, just buy some distilled water and put it aside. You know, have some seeds, put it aside. You know, stock up on like food products that aren't going to go bo- go bad, like beans, rice, you know, granola bars. I mean, maybe it's just because I come from a, you know, from, from a country that's not as stable as the United States, but I just naturally do that anyway. You should be too, because nothing is guaranteed in this world. But should you be, you know, having panic attacks? Fucking no. Should you be washing your hands? Fucking yeah. In fact, honestly, what I have learned from all of this is this year, this fall, when this shit starts up again, when everybody else has fucking forgotten about coronavirus, the moment they say it's flu season, that's it. If I'm getting on a plane, I'm wearing a mask. I don't care if you look at me crazy. You can look at me crazy all you want to. I'm not sitting on a plane and listening to everybody sneeze and cough and spread their germs all over the air and sit there and breathe it in because I'm, I'm afraid of what you're going to think about me. I'm wearing a mask. If we're in a public place and everybody's shaking hands, you're going to get a, a head nod. You're going to get a black <laughs> black guy head nod. Like, I'm not shaking your hand. I don't know where your hands have been. I don't know what you're doing with your hands. I'm not. In fact, actually, I'm not even shaking hands, period. I'm done. <laughs> like, you're going to get a nice fist bump from me. Judge me all you want to. 
but that's what I'm gonna, you're gonna get a, a, fit, a fist bump, you're gonna elbow bump, you're gonna, maybe I might hug you, maybe, if I know you. But other than that, you're gonna get a head nod or a fist bump, period. I mean, I just think we should just, in general, get into the practice of wearing masks anyway, just because of, not just the f- fucking coronavirus, like, just because of the flu. Just a simple, basic flu. We should be doing that anyway. But to, to, to react in fear and to run on the store, you as a conscious individual, at least an individual who's working on being conscious, just sit back and rather than getting pulled in, watch. This is what I'm talking about. When we claim to have free will, but somebody shoots a person, shoots somebody else because they sneezed. Come on now. We're, we're, how are you free? Anyway, let's move on. Let's talk about pain. Um, yeah, let's talk about pain. I, I've, uh, I spent the last few episodes talking about death. I talk about death a lot um, because it's a scary, taboo topic. Um, but I don't want my listeners to be afraid of it. And I don't want to be afraid to die um, because I'm going to die one day. And the fact that we live in a society that when you say something like, I'm going to die, everybody reacts and freaks out. That, to me, is why I want to talk about it. Because that reaction is a sign that, that that's unconsciousness taking over. right? And, and my, my drive right now, my biggest drive and aspiration is to be free. To, to be free. To exercise free will as best as I can. To be conscious as best as I can. So anything that makes me react unconsciously, I use that, or, or not unconsciously, anything that makes me react the way anybody else react, would react under the same circumstances, tells me that that action is an action that's born out of um, an unconscious behavior, an unconscious thought pattern. And so that's something that I'm not control. I'm not in control of, especially if it's negative. Right. And so that to me tells me, okay, I'm going to use that as a, as a cue to wake up, to be conscious. And so death, I talk about it a lot because we're all going to die. Just, you got to, you just got to wrap your mind around, just deal with it. We're all going to die. But pain is something that, um, is more, more pressing, right? Like I said, we, we deal with pain on a consistent basis. Every single day. Physical, emotional, psychological pain. It's a daily occurrence. Sit with that. Let's sit with that and let's examine just what pain exactly is. Okay? So right now what you do is just sit still and pay attention to your body. Just, just be fully tuned into your body. In about 30 seconds or so, you're going you're gonna to start noticing like a random itch here or twitch there. All right. Don't, don't scratch that itch. Just watch. And in time, you're going to feel that that itch is going to transform into, into pain, especially if you don't scratch it. So what is this thing that we call pain? Have you ever thought about it? If it's something that we have to deal with on a daily basis and will more than likely be amplified at the time of our body's inevitable deaths, and don't you think it's time that perhaps we start trying to wrap our minds around pain as a process? and our automatic responses to it. Don't be uncomfortable. Or if you are uncomfortable, feel that discomfort. Feel the discomfort that what I'm talking to you about is causing within you. 
We're going to die. I'm going to die. It's okay. Right? And I know it's okay because I no longer identify with the body. I understand that the body is a vehicle. So if the body fails, it doesn't mean that that's the end of me. So that gives me solace. I want you to be in that same space too. Understand that the body is a vehicle in which you utilize to experience reality, this reality, this world. Like I said, especially to new listeners, if you haven't had a chance to listen to previous episodes, please do because I delve into the I delve into those concepts a bit deeper. Okay. If you don't identify with the body, if you don't believe that you are your ego, which is just a false persona that was created by external factors and external circumstances, then there's no reason to feel to fear death. Right. Now, I just finished reading a book by Richard Albert, also known by his moniker Ram Das or Ram Das, Ram Das. I can tell you how I came across this book, but I believe he was mentioned briefly either in like The Power of Now or A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Either way, I love his books. And uh, the one book that I'm referencing now is called Dying to Life. And in, in it, he talks about other people's reactions to our experiencing pain and how we experience pain. So in the book Dying to Life, he talks about how when you... Like, say you're in a group of people, right? And you, like, say you stub your toe. People watch you stub your toe. Everybody in unison goes, ugh, ugh. And that harsh sound of ugh sound, he says it's like a, it's an encouragement. It's an invitation for us to suffer. Right? And and I noticed that. Like, it's like a program, right? It's a program response. Um, so, like, say somebody, like, somebody is running. Suddenly they fall. We all grunt that ugh sound. Right? That ugh sound. Have you ever just like walked and hit your hand on a, on a wall? And you, and you just instinctively or react, reactively say ugh. And it's almost like that ugh sound is then what causes the pain. It magnifies the pain. Next time you hurt yourself, sit with that pain. Don't react. Like, literally, don't, don't even react. Just don't make a noise, especially if you're by yourself. Don't make a noise. Pay attention to how the intensity of the pain diminishes due to the lack of your reaction. It's wild. I, I've, been, I've been doing it this whole, like, this past week. Not intentionally, of course. Like, I'm not walking around trying to hurt myself. But a couple of times I've been walking, I'm kind of gangly. So, like, I hit my hand on the wall or something like that or on a cabinet, or hit my head. And instead of making that, oh, sound, I stay silent. And then I pay attention to that pain, what that feeling is. And I, and I try to really analyze, okay, what is that? What is, what, is, what is this pain? And I realize that when I do that, the pain just, it almost like evaporates. Like, if you have any pain in your body right now, instead of putting the label of pain on it, right, sit with it and just, like, feel it. And don't put any labels on it. Don't say, okay, it's, it feels tight, it feels sharp. It, all of these labels are 
uh, let's say, commands, like to, to tell your mind to amplify that feeling, sit with it. If you really sit with it, you, you start to realize that actually it's um, on a continuum, right? It's not, pain is not one thing and it's not one thing that's different from pleasure. And this is going to get weird, but stay with me. Just hear me out, okay? I have learned now just from observing pain in my body that it feels like the opposite or not the opposite, on the other side of pleasure. But it's the same thing, the same base feeling. What I mean by that is think about temperature, right? So temperature is the label in which we use to describe the way something feels, I guess. And on the spectrum, on one end of the spectrum is cold, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum is hot. Now, if you push something to one extreme and it becomes too hot, that's one. And then you put something to another extreme and it becomes too cold, that's another. But ultimately, on, on one, on the, the underlining label for it is temperature. So for pain, it's the same spectrum. You have pain, let's say we put pain on the left, the same way you would put cold on the left, I guess. And then you put pleasure on the right, and you call that like heat or whatever, right? Too much pain feels one way. Too much pleasure can also feel a certain way. But ultimately, from one end of the spectrum to another, it's a feeling. Now, we don't have that. It's a sensation. We don't have a name for sensation the way we have the name for, you know, the variation from cold to heat or heat to cold, which we call temperature. I, I can't think anyway right now of what that, what that spectrum would be called if you put pain and pleasure on, on a continuum. But they're the same thing. And I, I, I wonder if you instead of just slapping the label on it and calling it pain, if you can recognize that, no, it's not pain, it's a sensation that I'm feeling, and I'm, I might be feeling something on the spectrum between pleasure and pain, I wonder if you can't, with conscious thought and effort, transform a feeling of pain to something more pleasurable right? Like, like sliding the, the scale, but using your mind. Because if you think about it, right? You think about people who are like really into S&M or whatever, or masochism or whatever, um, masochists, they derive a certain level of pleasure from their pain. So that tells me that in the brain, there is a, con- there is a connection there. And so could you, with just your, with your, just with your force of will and your mind, paying attention, becoming really present, really conscious when you get up. So I've got sciatic, uh, lower back pain. Um, and uh, in the past, before I started doing this exercise that I'm talking to you about, um, when I would stand up from sitting too long or from sitting on something hard, I would, I would go, oh, I can feel the pain. And I would make the noise, oh, and then that intensified it. But in my brain, it's just it's like I gave it the label pain. And it's almost like that label of pain pulled all of my painful experiences and combined it into that one feeling. And so that then amplified that feeling. But then I thought, okay, don't call it pain. Just as you're standing up, 
Don't make a noise. Pay attention to it. Maybe instead of going, ah, uh, like Ramda says, go, ah, uh, or, ah, uh, right? Associate a different sound with that feeling. And could you really, could you hack your mind to make it so that the pain is less intense at the very least? And you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're probably not going to believe me, but you're going to have to try it out yourself. As a result of that practice, as a result of trying to tune in my consciousness to feeling what that pain is, I have actually severely reduced my lower back pain. It, it's wild. I, I, I think if, I, if you would have asked me a week before I started doing this, um, on a scale from 1 to 10, how high is your pain level? Um, which is interesting that you know instead of instead of pain and pleasure being put on its on the own on its own spectrum and its own continuum as a let's call it sensation they give pain its own spectrum when you go to the doctor right which i i'm saying it shouldn't be i think pain and pleasure should be on the same spectrum as uh, cold and hot under the same umbrella as temperature and i think if you start looking at things like that your relationship with pain will start to change, especially if you start consciously, you don't put the label on it, you just consciously pay attention. Okay, what does this feel like? My pain has been significantly reduced. It's, it went from like, let's say like a, a 10 to like a two, if, you're, if we're using a pain, pain spectrum. Now, if I'm using a pain to pleasure spectrum, I could say that it went from a level of one, which is pain, uh, to a level of four or five, which is not quite as painful. Maybe not pleasurable, but not quite as painful. And by changing my, my relationship with, with how my mind interprets that sensation and telling myself that, hey, this is a continuum and pleasure is on the opposite end, I've actually decreased my pain. Montagna or Montaigne, depending on how you want to, how fancy you want to sound. Um, he was a Stoic. He wrote about Native American women who, on their journeys, when they would travel with their family or they would migrate, uh, the pregnant woman would squat, deliver their babies, and then keep it moving. Right, and they would just keep moving. Their relationship psychologically with the mindset of how their culture viewed childbirth, I believe lessened their feeling of pain during childbirth. Right? I'll use my daughter as another example. So when she was growing up, my mom taught me this thing that if she's running around and she falls, I mean, unless she just, boom, like hits her head hard, if she falls, don't react to the pain. Watch how she behaves. And if she doesn't seem like she's in immense pain, almost ignore it. Now, as a result of that, she has a different relationship with pain. Um, she has a higher pain tolerance. Um, 
And so I'll backtrack a bit. So what, what would happen is, like, say it would be, like, in a playground. You'd watch parents playing. Now, American, a lot of American parents, when their kid falls, the kid turns, looks at their mom. The moms react, and then the kid starts crying. Whereas my daughter would fall. I would watch her fall because I'm watching her like a hawk. She would fall, much in the same way as, like, the American kid would. She would look at me. I would look at her, and my face would not change. And then she would keep going, whereas another kid would have been like would have started bawling and then the mom would rush to them. So as a result, this kid, a few years ago, I think she was like five or six years old, she had she was playing with these groups of kids and I think she fell and somehow she dislocated her arm. She was in a she was in DC at the time with my mom. She dislocated her arm. Um, and then it it broke. I wasn't there. This was over the summer. I wasn't there. But they happened to be at the home of the person who was a doctor. And so the doctor kind of pushed the arm back into place, which I've never dislocated anything. I just, just hearing the description of it just sounds immensely painful, immensely painful. Um, But they were saying how she didn't react terribly to it. And so they thought it was okay. Now, when I picked her up from the airport, I just watched the way she was holding her arm and it didn't seem like she was, this was two days prior or two days after the fact was when I picked her up from the airport and she just didn't seem quite herself. And so we took her to the emergency room straight from the airport and found out that she had broken her arm. But for two days, this was a six-year-old kid, five or six-year-old at the time. For two days, she wasn't crying. There's nothing wrong with her. She, she's not, she doesn't have any you know, developmental disorders or anything like that. She's a normal kid. But m- the way I raised her taught her to feel pain in a different way. And so for two days, she had this dislocated arm and a broken arm. And you, she was playing like normal. She was you know, I think she just eating ice cream, running around, just, you couldn't tell. So it wasn't until they ran the x-rays and even the doctor was like, holy shit, like, I can't believe she's just walking around not, like, screaming in pain. I have a video of when she, you know, they put a, a, a temporary, kind of wrapped her arm around. I have a video of her just calmly unwrapping the cast. Like, that kid is, like, my fucking role model, okay? Like, but that was because of the way my mom and myself programmed her to deal with pain. There's something we can learn from that. There's something we can learn from that. Even myself, like I can think, as I was writing this episode, I was thinking about how like different painful situations that I'd gone through where I didn't react, whether because I was under the influence of one thing or another, I didn't react. And as a result of my non-reaction, the next day I had no physical um evidence of any sort of pain suffered. So like one time, for example, this was back in college. Um, I drank in college. I don't drink now um, for, for obvious reasons, um, <laughs> as I'm about to explain. So in college, when I would drink, we would just do a bunch of stupid shit, right? Like I was Greek. Um, so for one, for one Greek party I was at, we all decided we were all drunk. We were going to take our paddles and just hit the fuck out of each other for no reason. Just beat the shit out of each other. Just swing on each other with our paddles because we were drunk and fucking stupid. And, uh, my, my line sister, my sorority sister, she went to swing the paddle. She like lifted it up, but in the process, she wasn't going to hit me. She was trying to hit some, um, 
uh, one of our like frat brothers or whatever. And in the process of trying to like swing, she swung it back like so quickly that she smacked my knuckles in the process. And everybody else around us like reacted. But I just like calmly looked at my hand and then was like, went back to like talking to whomever it was I was talking to. And everybody was like, what the fuck? Like, how are you not reacting? Like, like, are, is your, are you okay? Like people rushed to me, checked my hand. Like, are you, is it swollen? I was like, no. And then the next day, like it, there was no pain. There was no pain. It wasn't swollen. It was like my brain didn't register it as something that happened. And so it like didn't happen. But I know it happened because obviously after the fact too, like people were like coming up to me like after I was no longer drunk, like, hey, yo, you okay? Like, is your hand okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. It's cool. That was one situation. Another situation was this one time, it was another party where we were all drunk. And there was this beautiful green-eyed guy, light-skinned, gorgeous, just aesthetically pleasing, okay? And we were flirting back and forth with each other like all night. And um, we went outside to talk. I don't know what we were talking about, but like the whole day and all night that I was talking to him, he seemed really chill. And then at one point, he pulls out a cigarette to smoke. I don't like cigarettes. I don't like the fact that this beautiful, you know, Adonis of a guy was about to light a cigarette. And so he lights a cigarette. I take the cigarette out of his mouth and I put it out on my palm. And he, of course, lost his shit. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Are you okay? Whoa. And then we ended up making out because he thought that shit was hot. <laughs> but it's just stupid in hindsight. I remember doing it. Like, I never got drunk to the part where, like, I blacked out. So the, the story I told you of, like, my lion sister hitting me with a paddle. And then the story I told you about me ta- putting the cigarette out. Like, I, this is firsthand knowledge. I remember this. Um, I was just a bit tipsy or whatever. Um, did I have a scar on my hand the following day? No. I didn't. Um... Did I feel pain the following day? No, I didn't. Did I react in pain at the moment? No, I didn't. Which tells me then that the way we feel pain, I can guarantee you if I had to put a number, I would say like 90% of the pain that we experience on our day, daily lives are born, of, are born out of unconscious reactions and our programming, societal programming of how we're supposed to react to things. Right? Have you ever watched boxing? My husband loves boxing. I uh, I don't because <laughs> I don't like people punching the fuck out of each other repeatedly for like you know hours. Um, but I think it's watch it's worth watching if you're female or you're not into that or even MMA or whatever. Just watch how these people just get fucking like. <laughs> I'm trying to even find the words, like just the continue, like the punches. I remember watching a boxing match with my husband and I'm watching, I'm sitting there watching and this guy gets like punched and then they punch the other guy and they hit him in the gut. And and like, I'm watching their faces and they are not wincing. They are not reacting. It's like watching like video game characters like hit each other. And at one point I turned and I asked my husband, like, do these people not feel pain? Like, what the fuck is happening? He's like, no, they feel it. But that's, mental discipline they're not they don't react to it like it's just part of the job so when they get hit it's like they just roll with it um that's fucking wild to me that's wild to me like if you don't think that mind determines matter if you don't think that your mind affects how you feel pain go and watch a boxing match
when you put your mind to it, you can overcome anything. So while you're sitting here, you're like, I got a migraine. I got to go take like 1,200 milligrams of Tylenol. Do you really? Why don't you use that as, a, as an experience and in which to, to sit with that migraine and see how it feels and put it on the spectrum, put it on the sensation spectrum. And instead of saying, okay, the, the pain itself is the, is the spectrum and I'm feeling a pain from zero to, to like 10 or whatever, put it on a spectrum and call that spectrum sensation or feeling or whatever you want to call it, or even take it one step further, call that sesh, that uh, spectrum, call it pleasure. See if you can do something with that. Call it pleasure the way you would call it like something like, you know, temperature. And then it's just, you know, the, the, call the pain just less pleasurable instead of calling it pain and attaching all of those connotations that are associated with that word that kind of makes it so that that feeling gets amplified because of all your associations that you have with that word. Call the spectrum pleasure. And then on one end, what you would typically call pain, just call it less pleasurable or, or feel it as a, a different type of pleasure versus on the opposite end, like an orgasm or something like that. Um, like I said, I, this is something I've been working on this this whole week. And what it's interesting what has happened. Not only have I been able to reduce the feeling of pain that I've had in my lower back from the sciatica, um, I went to put, I, I, I take something called um, MSM powder. I don't know if you guys ever heard of MSM, but it's like a sulfur-based white powder or whatever. And uh, I take it for my joints and for inflammation and for your nails and your hair and everything like that. Um, it's very bitter on its own, so you have to put it in water so that you don't taste it when it's diluted. But I was in a rush. I was going somewhere, and so instead of putting it directly into my water, I kind of put it over the, the lid of my... It kind of spilled over to the lid of my water bottle. And so I kind of shook up my water bottle, and then I went to go drink it. But I, as I went to go drink, I saw the powder on, my, on the lid of my bottle, and so I decided to just lick the lid. And so I licked the lid, and the MSM, which is normally bitter all of a sudden was sweet to me. It wasn't like 100% sweet. It wasn't like I just licked it and it tasted like sugar. It just wasn't as bitter. Like my brain interpreted it as, instead of bitter, which is that negative term, right? It just interpreted it as less sweet. And I was shocked. I was like, whoa, whoa, that's cool. So I licked it again. <laughs> like, like, so I'm sitting there like fucking weird. I was licking the top of my water bottle. My husband was like, what are you doing? I was like, MSM, it's bitter, right? And he's like, yeah, because I make him take it. And I was like, it tastes sweet to me. Not like sugar sweet, but it doesn't taste bitter to me anymore. It just tastes less sweet. So I'm really thinking I'm really onto something here with this spectrum thing. And I want you guys to really try it out. The way I removed bitterness from the spectrum, right? Remove pain from the spectrum. Don't focus on pain as its own category. Put it on a spectrum of pleasure instead, the same way I put it, um, put the bitterness on the, on the spectrum. I did it unknowingly, but that's what my brain did. It didn't put it on a separate spectrum of bitter. It put it it put that sensation, that flavor on the spectrum of sweet and less sweet. Why don't you switch your mindset or try switching your mindset, not from pain on one end and then pleasure on the other end, but 
pleasurable, very pleasurable, and then not as pleasurable. And then when you feel the pain, right, you get up, you feel the pain, take your mind and make the pain a meditation. Really concentrate on that. Really try to dissect what it is, what is it that I'm feeling, right? Don't put the labels on it. Don't say, okay, it feels sharp. It feels, you know, I feel pressure. Because even those words, they come with their own, you know, set of sensations would serve to amplify your feelings. Just pay attention to it, right? Close your eyes even. When you start doing that, you start realizing that it, it starts changing your mind's relationship with that. It's like, okay, is that an itch? Okay, I'm not going to call it an itch. I'm just going to see what is that? What is that? And then it's almost like your your brain doesn't know how to handle you paying attention to it, so it almost just goes away. Or you can almost turn a, an itch into a tickle. I just did it right now. I'm sitting on my couch as I'm recording this, and I felt like a little kind of itch on like my side. But instead of calling it an itch, I was like, okay, what is that? Let me see. What does that feel like? And all of a sudden, like it started to tickle. You know, we, we name things, and these names of things come with, like, they're heavy. You know, they come with, with the, the programming associated with things. So if you call this a pain, you call this bitter, you call this an itch, you know, your brain, oh, here's the label, and you're programming yourself, right? And so then it, it, it runs the program of, okay, pain, let's amp this up. But if you grew up in a society or in a culture where people had a different relationship with pain, you might not experience as much pain as people maybe experienced 200 years ago or 500 years ago, at least not to the intensity that we experience it now. You see, childbirth for a woman now is extremely painful. Labor pains are extremely painful. But you kind of have to ask yourself how much of that is amplified, how much of that pain is amplified as a result of what society has programmed you to feel. Because you see, if a six-year-old can break her arm and just kind of shake it off, because she's been programmed not to get excited at the pain and just recognize, okay, it doesn't feel good. In her mind, the way her mind processes pain is that it's discomfort. It's not pain to her. It's just a type of dull discomfort. That's one way to, to stay conscious, to catch yourself, right? The next time you feel pain. Let me backtrack a little bit. And restate what I just said. If, 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 an, if a six-year-old can break her arm and go, okay, that's just discomfort. If a boxer can get hit on the face repeatedly and just shake it off, they're no different from you, right? If a woman, if, a, if a, an Indian woman can have a baby and, and then pick that baby up, tie the baby up on her back and keep walking and push through it and not be debilitated, that these are things that tell you that this, these are things that your mind is also capable of if you become conscious. See, that's why it's so important to me to maintain, to, to, to maintain a, a constant level of consciousness.
Because the amount of suffering that we all undergo is largely magnified by our unconscious reactions to things without thinking about things, right? You say, oh, my back hurts. I feel pain there. That amplifies it. But if other cultures can go through the same thing and feel less pain, then is the pain really as bad as we feel it or are are our minds amplifying the pain because of our cultural expectations and programming? My journey right now, and I hope you you join me, I want you to join me on the same journey. My journey right now is I want to be free. I want to be free. I don't control everything. Clearly, I can't control everything. But on the things that I can control, I want I want to be able to control that. And the things that I can control on is the way I process pain. I'm not I no longer want my experience of pain to be born out of societal and cultural expectations of pain. And so I think that if I work on it on a daily basis and consciously, I can change my experience with pain. And you as well. I mean, I've seen myself do it. To have something that normally tastes bitter when I lick it, all of a sudden tastes sweet. I mean, obviously there was an edge of bitterness still there, but my brain didn't recognize that. It, it almost like my brain found the sweeter aspects of it. And then that was what it took in. And that's just from a week of practicing not labeling something as pain and just really drawing my conscious attention to the sensation and try to feel what it is and understand it, drawing consciousness to it. Just one week. And I did the same thing with my back, where I went from, oh my God, I can barely stand up, to, okay, stand up. Stand up, feel the pain. What is there? What is that? What is it? Is it pain? Okay, what does pain mean? Okay, let's search my mind. Feel it. What is it? Hmm. It's actually, it's not so bad. It's just less pleasurable. And I think when you take the word pleasure, you tie, you tie it in to the word or to that feeling rather, your brain develops a different relationship now. Now it's a conscious application of feeling as opposed to an unconscious programmed response, right? They say some, for some people, if you're feeling sad, right? If you just smile and you talk upbeat and you go through the actions of, okay, I'm happy. Eventually what happens is your body follows suit and then you end up feeling happy. And I I guess what I'm trying to explain for you to do is more or less the same thing. I'm not saying lie to yourself and when you're feeling pain and say, I feel this feels good. No, because that's still just a label. I'm saying throw away all the labels. Before you had titles and names for things, just throw that all away and then feel it and really feel it. Take your consciousness and really focus on that pain and, 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 and feel what is, is it really pain? Okay, what is this? 
and then put it on that spectrum. Don't call it pain. If it helps, put it on the spectrum of pleasure. Okay, this is just less pleasurable. You could, you might be able to trick your mind into feeling something, deriving a sense of pleasure from the pain. I mean, look, like I said, if there are people out there who derive pleasure from pain, clearly there is a correlation somewhere in the brain. And so you can consciously do the same thing. If you're able to do that, you might find yourself looking forward to your next, <laughs> your next you know, back pain. Like, ooh, okay, let me see. Oh, that feels, that's not too bad. I don't know. I know it sounds weird. And it's probably not something you've heard somebody talk about before. But that's what this podcast is all about. We're going to talk about things that most people aren't going to talk about. We're going to use your brain in ways that you're not, we're all not encouraged to do so. But ultimately, I want us to get to the point where we are more conscious individuals. There's, there's, a, there's a story in that same book that I mentioned um, by, by Ram Das, um, Dying to Life. And it talks about how the older we get, and th- this is um, an example given by a doctor. The doctor says that when a baby is young, it needs less to console it. But a doctor, this doctor watches as that same baby gets older and things that, sh- that wouldn't have affected that child when it was like a toddler or a five-year-old or seven-year-old, all of a sudden that same pain gets magnified as, they're, as they become um, like teenagers and then young adults or whatever. And what he was saying is he suspects that that magnification isn't because they're feeling the pain more intensely, but rather it's because we as a society, have conditioned that child to magnify the pain. I know I'm saying it, but I'm going to keep saying it because repetition is how we learn. Right? So if every time you fell, everybody went, you learned to over-repeatedly falling and people repeatedly reacting in that way, you learned that, okay, this pain that I'm feeling is a bigger deal than it actually is. You learned that. That's a learned response. And so that pain that you have now that seems unbearable is a learned response. And so if you're listening to this and you're in your 20s and your 30s and your 40s, I'm telling you right now, guys, as you get closer to like your 70s and your 80s, it's not going to get easier. I mean, look at old people. They're in pain a lot of the time. So let's say you do live to to be a 60 or 70 year old or an 80 year old. Don't you think it's a good time right now if you're in your 20s or 30s to start practicing coping with that pain and coping mechanisms and maybe to stop that continuation of that magnifying process of pain that society imposes on people? There's no time like the present. There's no time like the present. What are you waiting for? 
If the doctor can state that a baby, let's say a baby that gets a shot, barely flints, barely, I can't talk, barely flinches at the shot. And then you go to give the same baby a shot at six and it's like, ah, it kind of tenses up, right? And then you get that same baby. Now it's a teenager and like they pull out the needle and here come the theatrics, right? And then as an adult, oh my God, I hate needles. All of that extra energy, that's unconscious behavior. You're, you're going through the roles. In the episode before this one, I talked about that. The episode's called Becoming No One. I talked about how we get lost in our roles. And we become the roles. We're, we're, it's an immersive gameplay, what we're going through. I'm taking that concept a step further. And I'm saying that even our pain and our experiences of pain is a role. You know, you startle somebody and they jump and it's all this theatrical. Oh my God, you scared me. <gasps> my heart is racing. And they really believe that. But if you're conscious, if you're working on being conscious, you watch that reaction in yourself. It starts to feel kind of fake, kind of, mm. Mm, this doesn't feel authentic. Like I, 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 you catch yourself acting and then you catch yourself realizing that that acting is amplifying that feeling and then it dissipates, it dissolves. I'll tell you one story and I'll let you go. This is not pain. I mean, I guess you could say it's like psychological pain, but I had ordered um, in my search to order my purple plush quilted northern three-ply toilet paper from uh, Prime Now. Uh, they didn't have that, um, but I decided to, to, to get my order to $35. I ordered my toilet paper, I ordered my paper towels, and then I ordered a crate of sumo tangerines because I love them. And um, they're like $25 for one case. And I was like, okay, well, I go through a lot of tangerines during tangerine season because of the vitamin C and things like that. Um, so I was like, I'll order the case. I'll buy it. And so I paid $25 for the case. And I ordered it at 12 because of all this madness with the coronavirus. Now I can't get my you know one hour delivery. I got to wait four to six hours or four to six hours for my stuff to get delivered now, which I know it sounds like a first world problem and I understand how it sounds like, <laughs> but still, you know, things are different. Anyway, I'm waiting. I'm looking forward to my case of tangerines. I, I, the, the guy delivers the, the bags. I open it up and I'm thinking like, where, where are my tangerines? I pull out one single lonely ass fucking sumo tangerine. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Where's? And then I look at the receipt. I go on my phone and look at the receipt and they charge me $25 for the one tangerine. And I felt myself wanting to start the program, to run the program of anger. I did, I genuinely did. Um, I, I felt that, I didn't feel angry. What I felt was my mind saying, okay, this should make you angry. But because I've been working on stopping my reaction, I, I, it didn't go from stimulus to response. I felt that feeling of, I guess this should make you angry, but I couldn't get angry. I just started laughing. I mean, but verbally I was saying angry things in the sense of like, okay, what the fuck? Did they really just charge me $25 for one tangerine? But in my mind, I thought the whole thing was comical. 
And then I called, you know, Amazon and I'm talking to them and I, and I knew that I should have been more, if I wasn't, if I was a regular human being, you know, I, I should have called with a lot more, um, energy and enthusiasm and vitriol or whatever. Um, but I just, I just said to the guy, I was like, (laughs) um, I, I didn't pay $25 for one tangerine. Can you guys refund me back my money, please? And he, he was like, oh, I'm sorry. And he went through all of that. And, and I just thought it was funny. I was, he's like, has this happened before? And I said, yeah. There's this other time that I ordered, like, they, you can choose how many tangerines you can order. And I said, I wanted 10, just 10 tangerines. And they delivered 10 pounds of tangerines. <laughs> and then they weren't even good tangerines. They were, like, fucking hard. Um, I couldn't even eat them. And then they charged me for it. And so I said, yeah, that this has happened before, but on the opposite spectrum. And um, he was like, oh, I'm sorry. But I just, I, I found the whole thing funny. Like it was, it tickled me. And that's when I realized like I, I've come a long way because I guarantee you like a year ago, I would not have reacted the same. Well, I definitely would have reacted for sure. Whereas what happened, you know, yesterday, it wasn't a reaction. It was more going, okay, somebody clearly made a mistake. Um, I could fix this very easily. I'm a little annoyed because I was looking forward to eating these tangerines, but it's okay. Everything happens for a reason. Um, let me call and get my refund back. And, uh, but I was in control of my action. I wasn't reacting. It wasn't this set me off. Let me call, ruin my evening. I was actually able to pause, pay attention to, okay, this is the trigger. Okay. Or it's a potential trigger. Am I going to allow myself to be angered by this? Or am I going to actually apply logic to this? Okay, well, they're not trying to piss you off uh, personally. And even if they are, who cares? You know, um, just get your refund and, you know, I guess you're not meant to have tangerines or whatever. And I, and I left it. Um, I've come a long way. I've come a long way. And I'm sharing this with you guys. And I know this is, you know, these episodes are getting longer and longer. But for those of you who are listening, I, I appreciate you listening. And I, and I hope that you're kind of getting good, helpful information from this. And I would also say, listen to it more than once. I, I'm a firm believer of repetition is learning. Um, there, were things, there were times in the past when I would, like, get a book on Audible. I'd read it once. And, um, and then I'd go get another book and read it once and go get another. And I would always get something out of the book. Um, but as I've gotten older and I've been, you know, reading more and more, I realized that I can take the same book and listen to that same book every single day. And I go, I read, I listen to it fast, right? I listen to it at 3x speed, you guys, as you guys know. Um, but each time I listen to it, or each time I read a book, I get something. I I get something different than the first time I listened to it, or the second time I listened to it, or the third time I listened to it. Um, and so it's 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 totally okay that if you know you're you're feeling like you're feeling in pain, you know, to come back and listen to this episode, or you're there's something else going on in the news. Let's say six from six months from now, the media is now hyping us up on the next. Ebola outbreak or whatever. It's perfectly okay to come back and hit play. I do the same thing to my own podcast. I'll go and re-listen to my own podcast and go, yeah, you know, that's true. You know, you had a point. And it's me saying it, but sometimes you forget. And sometimes you, you need to hear certain things. And sometimes you get different things out of a, of a different listen. Um, yeah, you guys stay, uh, stay conscious. I know I've said this before. It's really easy to get sucked in to the unconscious 
you know, reactivity of, of daily life. Um, but it's become my ultimate passion to, to be awake, to live consciously, to be in control of myself. You know, I could wake up tomorrow morning and, and be in pain. I can't control that. If there is a, a fucking earthquake right now, I can't control that. But what I can actively work on, the way, you know, people work on going to the gym and they work on, you know, exercising and things like that. I can, I can work on my mind not controlling me. That I do have control over. I can work on not allowing myself to react to things. That I do have control over. That you do have control over. You know, the mind is a powerful tool. It's a very powerful tool, but most of us are slaves to it. Imagine what you can accomplish if you became its master.